Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy, producer extraordinaire, and recent returnee from Dyersville, man, Cameron McCoy. What's happening? If you build it, they will come. <laughs> there we go. Deep I li- cut of I Iowa. Li- yeah, apparently there's a town. Just to give people reference, there's a place in Iowa called Dyersville, and I think of it as a state of mind. Mm. Uh, maybe we start a smooth jazz band. <laughs> Actually, that's probably it would probably be more like modern jazz, right? Dyersville. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think so, so. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're out there listening and you are a, you're looking for a, a name for your jazz band, hey, take it. It's yours. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, because I think Cameron and I have shelved our jazz future. Um. Yeah. Most notably because I play zero musical instruments. <laughs> See, that's where it's all like experimental. We're going to be like that high concept jazz album <laughs> where you don't play anything. <laughs> I'm just going to beat on pots and pans. Yeah. <laughs> Way out. I was telling someone this story of how it came to be that I learned no musical instruments. So I grew up in a really small town, like really small, where most of the kids ended up in band. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... In fifth or sixth grade, they take you out in the hallway and they say, hey, what do you want to play? And then they have like sample instruments and stuff like that. And I was like, I want to be a drummer. Okay. So they give me a drumstick and a block of wood and tell me, to I don't know, it was like twinkle, twinkle, little star. It was something. They play it. Very simple. I play it back. And the teacher looks at me cold in the eyes and says, you cannot be in our band. <laughs> Not, Ouch. you can't be a drummer. Not, this instrument isn't for you. You are not allowed to participate in high school marching band. Goodbye, I, sir. I, I don't know if I respect that teacher or like, I oh man, <laughs> that is a hundred percent true. That is that is what happened to me because my sister was in band, both my parents were in band, and me, I was told not us. no, we're good. <laughs> Seats taken. Can't sit here. Ouch. Dude. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and now you know like what psychologically is wrong with me, right? So, um, all making sense. <laughs> yeah. With that being said, let's talk about uh, you know a card game. Uh, Cameron, we we like to talk about Magic the Gathering. Uh, what have you been up to? Lots of standard. Um, the the dust is settling. You know, last week I was it was the Wild West. I could have played whatever I wanted to, and I felt like it was competitive. Uh, this week decks are really starting to form up and um two of which that are very interesting to me are variations on something that you played and then a variation on something that i've played uh green white mid-range and blue black control um i want to talk about green white mid-range um this deck everything rests on the back of a Sika's chariot and Renin 6, 7, Renin 7. Um, I don't think Renin 7 is a problem card. It feels very much kind of like standard from like three years ago when Nissa was like surfacing and it's like, okay, here's this planeswalker that creates not as hasty of a threat. And I don't think it's, a, it, it, if you left a, a Nissa unchecked, you're going to lose the game. Ren and mm-hmm. seven, it's a little bit slower, but you're still going to lose the game with that card in there. So it feels very much like a Nissa sort of thing to me. 
Um, I don't know what I'm saying other than like it's a very powerful, very good magic card. Um, and I'm seeing it literally everywhere in like green, white, mid range, green, black, mid range, uh, bant, bug, anything with green, you're splashing it in there just because it's netting you so much value. So I don't know, dude, like, um, I'm already kind of like a little checked out with, with Renan seven. Yeah. So let's talk about that because that actually popped off on Twitter a little bit and I think we could just dig into it now. Yeah. Um, the, Basically, there's a contingent of Magic players, and I, you know, maybe there is always a group of people that like to complain. Maybe that's instrumental to creating content, which yeah. I think you could have a different discussion. Um, I do know that whenever you're negative, you definitely get more feedback from listeners than when you're positive. Sure. And so I think maybe that creates this kind of, uh, you know, negative feedback loop. But, um, I would point out here that uh, some people on Twitter, really good Magic players, have already pointed out, oh, a Seekus Chariot is already ruining this standard. It's already way too powerful. And that has not been my experience. Uh, I think it's kind of in the same bucket as Allrun's Epiphany and mm. that it's a format like what you have to orient your deck building around, what you have to think about, whenever. but that's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But are we really comparing this to Wilderness Reclamation? Are we really comparing this to Oko? I mean, four mana for two cats and mm-hmm. a chair. Like, I, I mean, and maybe this is just me speaking as a person that plays blue black mostly in this standard. I'm not really too worried about a Seekus Chariot. You know, mm-hmm. yes, if I have actual nothing, if I don't draw well, and they copy a Renin Seven token, yeah, I'm gonna die. But, like, you can concoct all kinds of things that you could die to at oh, yeah. four or five mana if you don't do anything, right? Like, I, I don't know. Like, to me, this is just baseline standard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I think All Runs Epiphany, like, signifies that maybe time walks need to be shown the door in standard. Like, because that is, mm-hmm. like, kind of a frustrating experience. Now, look, and I've cast a bunch today. So this is not me saying yeah. the other guys. This is me saying... You know, hey, maybe this is getting to be a frustrating play pattern, though I don't think it's busted in the way Nexus of Fate was. Um, I don't know. Do you, so you think it's more Ren and Seven than a Seekus Chariot? It's the combination of the two. It really is because of the, the synergy you can create with the copy of a token, right? I mean, mm-hmm. once you get that going, if either of those two things are unanswered, I feel like you're you are so far ahead that... Um, Minus a wrath, like there's very little that I think your opponent's going to be able to do, uh, either with creature density or anything like that. Um, and I, I like it's way too early to tell. Like, uh, we need you know, GP, we need all this stuff to kind of the data to come in to either support or negate that. But, um, I just know that I feel like I'm playing a lot of run and sevens, and my opponents are playing a lot of run and sevens, and it's just already. Like okay, let, let's put the brakes on. Let's let's check out some of these other cards that exist, and that's just the nature of standard, you know. Mm-hmm. So, what was your experience like with blue back, blue black? So that's kind of like why I went to the blue black control, and um, I think you mentioned this as well. This deck seems to have an answer for almost everything. 
I am just answering threat after threat after threat. The amount of counter spells, the amount of um, really, really good removal spells. Um, and this one, I'm, I'm playing like essentially just Liliana, Professor Onyx as my win con, right? I mean, like um, you're just really outvaluing them with like the great removal counter spells and then just Liliania-ing the uh, gain two life, lose two life, and away we go, right? So it's incredibly good. Like I, I actually really like this because I feel like if I'm playing against a Renin 7 deck or a Seekus Chariot, I'm able to counter it. I'm able to re like remove the cat tokens if I need to. The tree doesn't really the tree full creature doesn't matter. So like I feel like this is that balance, right? Where like, yeah, we're having a lot of green based decks, and it's clearly, I think, like the best strategy to be doing. But all these other things with control are finding answers to how to to fight the battlefield. And um I don't know. It's making for some interesting games when I'm playing against the, when I'm playing a blue black control list. Yeah, it should also be pointed out that the scale is lower, right? Like, mm. yeah, you can kind of get uh, not kind of you do get card advantage with Ren and Seven, but it's not like Nissa, no, which was like a Mirari's Wake plus makes a hasty guy, and like especially when it was the Hydroid Crisis standard, mm. you know, you would have one card, one green card that could represent. Uh, you know, four for one pretty often, right? Mm -hmm. um, like, whereas now, control's more playable because these one for ones actually matter. Yeah. Right? And uh, I've I got to be honest with you, dude. I find that this standard is a breath of fresh air in terms of the play skill. Like, the games actually go on for a while. How mm -hmm. you sequence things matters. What you choose to remove, counter, kill, whatever, matters. Um... And I kind of had this moment, so I just I'll just shift into my deck that I've been playing. Have you seen these Delver Dragon decks? Not the Dragon Delver, no. So basically, they've taken Blue Red Delver and Blue Red Dragons and squished them together. Sure. You just play four Delver Secrets in what you think of as the Dragon Shell, four All Runs Epiphany, a bunch of counter spells. Burning Hands has become the kill green stuff of choice. It does almost. I mean, it kills Ren and Seven, kills a Seekus Chariot. All these things, right, at instant speed. Um, and I got to be honest with you, like, I messed up with this deck a lot. And what was nice is, even though it's still a memory deluge deck as well, like, the way in which you have to handle and play your deck, even though as a control deck, there's a whole other category control deck in the blue-black that you have to play completely differently. Mm -hmm. Right? And there's multiple ramp decks. The one thing I would say that, you know, when critics are kind of on this standard, I would say it does look like good old-fashioned aggro is probably not where it needs to be. Um, and if you want to point to a Seekus Chariot being a problem, I would assume when you're something like White Weenie and I play in a Seekus Chariot on turn three with a, what's the, the Tangled Fanglehorn thing, yeah. you know? Like that's a real problem if you're a white weenie deck. I'm not. I'm not trying to set that aside. But I think if you're looking to play a tempo deck, a mid range, a ramp, or a control, there's a home for you in the standard, and it's really refreshing to me. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say that within those archetypes, we're still at the stage where it's not fully determined. So, I'll give you an example in my blue red deck. Um, there's a lot of people that have not been playing the five five ward four. Um, it's an Ilmarith. It's the uh, dragon that yeah. it's it's like Dragon Lord Ojitai. Yeah, yeah. Um 
And that's like really broken the mirrors wide open for me because you can attack into it with a Goldspan Dragon. And I got to be honest with you, half the time I play it, I don't even attack with him because when you attack, then he loses his ward. So I just like sit there and they're stuck mm. and it's awesome, right? Like there, there's those moments where I'm like, okay, go. And they just like, okay, I've got a Goldspan Dragon in hand and an Epiphany and you've clearly got a Counterspell up. And they're just like, I'm time walking them virtually, which is like, what you're supposed to do as a control player. So anyway, I just, I've really liked this standard so far and I don't miss hyper aggro or like an aristocrat style aggro because I feel like we've gotten that so much. Yeah. <laughs> over the last few years. So, and I, and I shouldn't say like last two years because that's been a kind of a different standard, but I feel like over the last five, especially they've really pushed mono red multiple times to be quite good. Um, really going back to Hazard standard, right? Like that was For a sure. very good mono red deck. Um, got that Velociraptor band. I mean, come on, dude. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm really enjoying this standard. I'm kind of like looking at it through a limited window. I will say this, and I don't know how you feel about it. I feel like they're more aggressively going after my mythic wild cards with this set. I 100% agree. Like I, for the longest time have had triple the amount of mythics that i do normally rares and for whatever reason <laughs> this past week i'm like what happened why why am i at uh you know 15 mythics and 15 yeah anyway so like getting down there for sure so totally agree with that i'm surprised yeah the cameron grind isn't getting you where you need to be unbelievable Not anymore. Not anymore. unbelievable all right, Cameron, so let's get out of this segment. Come back. There is some actual magic news that I want to throw by you. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron, so, man, this is such a weird and bittersweet thing to talk about. So there's a magic event that's live mm -hmm. um, in November, like in, his, as in like less than two months away. Channel Fireball is calling this Magic the Gathering Las Vegas. Uh, and it's got all the hallmarks of a GP. Uh, like regular main event buy-in is like 60 bucks, $25,000 prize pool. You got to go 6-2 and two to go to the next day. Um, you can also do side events to your heart's content. There's a nice little play mat. You can play commander, etc., etc. Um, lots to talk about here. I'm interested, are you going to Vegas to play some Magic? <laughs> Sadly, no, I will not be going to Vegas to play some Magic. Um, on top of that, modern, man. Modern. No. <laughs> I want standard. Give me a big old standard tournament. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, they're not interested in that. But yeah, um, you're not just going to cash in all your frequent flyer miles and make a trip like what is that five days before thanksgiving or something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so on one hand i'm glad that live magic is back i don't know if you saw this but our friend jeremy who runs legacy events he had to cancel his legacy event which yeah. was a real bummer um and i don't want to approach this like i've kind of been on the record about my the my thoughts on having tournaments in covid and that I really do feel like there's a risk management thing that every person should take on, you know, their self if they feel like they should go or not. But I do think it is a little unfortunate to tell somebody that works at a gas station, like, yes, you must work your 50 hours a week, but no, you may not go play cards. You know, like, mm -hmm. there, there is that kind of element to it. If you're already asking someone to risk 
an element of their livelihood. Maybe it's okay for them to, you know, yeah. get together and play magic. Um, but this is like no time at all. <laughs> I, I feel, <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is something that, uh, if you would have given me like eight months in advance, hey, hey, let's Cameron, let's go road tripping, man. Let's go to an event. But with like fifty days away, this is wild, man. Like, yeah. Clearly, the successful flesh and blood event made them feel like they could do this with magic. Um, <laughs> I guess so let's start there, Cameron. What do you think about the time elapse and the fact that it's like the first major magic event that doesn't f- like you don't get anything? You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah. get a pro tour invite or whatever. So where's that? Where are you at with that? I guess psychologically. Uh, I mean, I will just say that. I, I'm going to give this a pass for how quick of a turnaround it is just because there's so much stuff in this world happening right now where events are happening and then we're going to go back and then we're going to happen and it's going to be a little bit different. And this is just the nature of like how things are, <laughs> how, how events are just across the board, not just magic, across the board. This is how things are happening. So I'm giving them a pass for this like suddenly we think it's okay november 19th sure it's probably going to be a little bit of a ding as far as attendance and everything because of how quick of a turnaround it is and because this is magic's first big event in such a long time um you want it to be successful you want i mean i want to go you know like but like i can't turn around that quickly and and go um you, you know, and I think that there's going to be a lot of people that are in a similar boat. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm giving it a pass, but I think it's going to um, just it, it. This should not be representative if it's a poor turnout for what live magic tournaments should look like in 2022. Right. I, I would also say, you know, we live in a quasi rural Midwest where the Thanksgiving holiday is holy ground. Sure. Like, seriously. This is the part of the country where it is more acceptable for you to work on Christmas than it is for you to work on Thanksgiving Day. And I'm not kidding. It may sound like I'm joking. That is very no, much true. a thing. Yeah. Like, it's if I don't show up to my mom and dad's on Christmas, fine. If I'm not there for Thanksgiving, I mean, I better have a, I better have a doctor's note, you know? <laughs> um, so there is that kind of, like, eyebrow-raising element that I don't know how much is, like, me, you know, my internal cultural outlook on it. Um, but yeah, like the turnaround makes it kind of feel like I wanted bombast. I wanted a magic is back, baby. And like, we're just clearly not going to get that. And that's okay. I mean, I just wanted it to be, you know, you yeah. and me driving into a giant convention center. Like, I don't know, maybe we're in, you know, Mario Karts and it's on Rainbow Road. <laughs> it's a legacy event. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Like I have... Yeah. Big dreams, big dreams for what this GP could be. But instead, it's like, hey, you feel like going to Vegas for a weekend? And the answer is no, I don't. I was there like in June and it was one of the worst traveling experiences of my life. (laughs) And so and also like it should be said, Vegas is really expensive right now. Mm. You know, it is it is kind of this destination thing. A lot of people are going there to unwind. So like things like getting a rental car there and stuff is not nothing, you know, Mm. um, but I get it. Like you can't just like, hey, we're gonna do it in Minneapolis because they might have a different COVID 
protocol. I can tell you from what I've learned, Vegas, not so much with the worrying mm. about the of the gatherings. So it might work out in that way. Um, and it is nice to see, ooh, 60 bucks plus a play mat. Ooh, what's right? the play mat? Like, you kind of just get those warm fuzzies from looking back at that and wondering what that could be. So I hope it's successful. I'm, and, and for all those people out there that kept poo-pooing flesh and blood and that continue to do so, uh, which, by the way, my deck got banned. Did I tell you that? <laughs> Classic. Uh, yeah, I know. I can't escape doesn't it. matter what, what game it is. <laughs> right. Uh, but anyway, it's like that, I think, allowed the success of that and the groundwork for that allowed this to happen. This is why Magic needs a competitor in this space. It's good for them. Yeah. Right? It's good for them. Uh, if you care about competitive Magic, you should want Flesh and Blood to succeed because that's the only way. You're going to get a good tournament scene. For real. Um, all right, Cameron. So the other thing I wanted to talk about is this is a little inside baseball, so bear with me. Did you ever use MTG Melee while we were in quarantine, or did you just play Arena like straight up? Just straight up Arena, yeah. Okay. So a bunch of the shops in my area did actual Friday Night Magic with store credit. You could PayPal in. Uh, but it was like they used MTG Melee to run and it's a website that you can connect with your google account or facebook account whatever and it essentially ran the tournament it was tournament organizing software watsi had actually used this for some of their higher end events that you know you'd be forgiven for not watching because nobody did uh you didn't even know when they were happening you know as i didn't either but they've decided to instead go with an esports provider that has never organized a magic tournament before Called Matcherino. Now, yes, MTG Melee was made by community members. Yeah, that kind of sucks. No, I'm not surprised. But here's the interesting tidbit. Instead of prizes necessarily being in cash, this use, using Matcherino now gives them the opportunity to make prize pools for larger tournaments. And you guessed it, gems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so... What I'm asking you, Cameron, is this a bad decision or the worst decision? Will you ever play in a large event where gems are on the line? You got to keep that walled garden as high as possible, right? You don't want any of those vines coming over and taking money away from poor, poor wizards. Oh, man. I mean, I'm not surprised. I'll just say that. I, I mean, it, it being this thing with magic, they, they're going to want it, – it's like the app store. They're going to want the money to happen within magic, and that means you better like those gems. Yeah, and I got to say, dude, every time I think maybe this eSports thing is out of their system, maybe they finally come correct and realized that it was a bubble – that it wasn't a good idea, that it caused them to burn down a 20-some-odd-year-old system for no reason, that it resulted in the complete erosion of competitive magic that, I mean, can we keep going, or is that enough? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but then they're just like, every once in a while, eSports! And it's like, <laughs> what? I don't, oh, a tournament with gyms is, a, uh, uh, look, and I'm not saying, like, because obviously I do like the little seven match things and whatever, and there's gyms as the prize pool. But if I'm expected to buy in at a, we'll say, more substantial sum, mm-hmm. $50, $60, and the loan prize is X amount, thousands of gems, this is a family show, so I can't tell you what I would say. Yeah. But I'm not interested. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and look, I don't have any stake in MTG Melee. I don't know any of the people that were involved. Um, but I just like, can we just stop with this stuff, guys? Can you just make a good freaking client? Right? I just want I want the ability to always choose the same basic lands. Right? Instead of having to scroll through all my variations of <laughs> islands to find my unglued ones, can you not just let me favorite it? Yeah. What about let's talk about the deck screen where you've given me a bunch of pre-cons and then also told me, "Hey, you're limited to 50 decks. Here's 15 that we've made for you." And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Individually clicking to delete every single one. Can't oh, just there's mass no multi-select. Delete, yeah, there's no multi-select. And this is like use like someone at Watsi has to know, right? Like, there's no way you could be a user interface person and like don't say, you know, maybe we should do the multi-select. <laughs> but instead, I gotta look at some kind of stupid animation of Liliana clapping or whatever. Mm. Right? It just constantly feels like and we we could go on and on about arena. The frustrating thing is it's just not living up to its potential. There's a good program in there. There mm-hmm. is. Whereas I feel the opposite, and I know I'm gonna get killed for this, about MTGO. I don't think it's a very good program. But I think their player base is so ingrained and they care more about speaking to that player base that it gives the illusion of hey, this thing is better, when on an actual functional level, it's not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's just frustrating on this level. Like, can we stop thinking about the bits and bops? And it, it's just like, you know, maybe, maybe make the transmission better instead of giving me the silver line cup holders. Yep. Yep. That's all I'm saying. All right, Cameron, do you have anything to add to that? 100% agree. <laughs> I mean, you want, no, yeah. You're, so, Cameron, you're probably like, what's a gem? Because you're just so in on the gold grind. You're like, there's another you, currency? You on- look, I have 1.5 million gems is sitting. <laughs> I mean, I think the only... Because you can convert gold to gems right through drafts? Uh, there's a way to do it. Yeah, through drafts. Through drafts you can, yeah. They have to give you an outlet to do it. Otherwise, it becomes gambling or whatever. Mm. But... Yeah, I can't wait for their upcoming Pro Tour where you can just win a bunch of gems. How cool would that be? All right, man. Let's get out of the segment and talk about what little else we've been up to this week. All right, Cameron. So kind of a kind of a sparse week in terms of the extras. I've been doing a lot of uh, traveling to youth sports and being the camera dad. Uh, mm. What have you been up to? Uh, it's been a busy week, but... I started and kind of blasted through over the course of the week um, Marvel's What If. Um, And this is the animated series of Marvel that's based off the What If comic series um, of the Watcher and kind of doing alternate universe What If Thor and Loki, or what if Odin didn't like, you know, adopt Loki or, you know... What if a a zombie disease infected Earth and these sorts of things? So there are, I don't know how many episodes. I've watched, I think, seven of them so far. Um, 
And there's been some really strong, fun episodes of this. So it's all based off of Marvel Cinematic Universe what ifs. Um, and everything from like what if T'Challa was Star Lord, which was like a really, really fun episode that is where. Cool. You got like Guardians of the Galaxy meets T'Challa, and uh, he was able to bro it up with Thanos, which, you know, T'Challa would be able to do because he's T'Challa, right? Um, so there's it. And the great thing is, is that they've brought back not everybody, but a vast majority of all the actors from the Marvel series into the animated series. So, minus like Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson. Chris Evans, you get almost everybody else. Like, I mean, uh, we got Chris Hemsworth, I mean, was voicing Thor, Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, like, everybody is really coming back to voice their characters. Um, and it's all kind of building towards, like, this this end of the series with, like, some big thing where the Watcher never interferes with these alternate universes, but something's going to happen where... He's going to have to, and the I'm not spoiling anything, but the trailer kind of reveals that we're going to get a what if alternate Avengers, um, which will be kind of fun. I really have been enjoying this series. I, I there's some of the cartoons that have been a little middling, but there's been some exceptionally well told stories um, within this. Uh, the first episode with um, Captain America, I think, was great. The T'Challa one was fun. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely worth something to check out, um, to kind of satiate that appetite until we get Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, I still haven't seen Shang-Chi, so yeah, I, I just, this is my life now, man. No, no time for Marvel, <laughs> which is a strange place to be, right? Um, and speaking of neglecting things, boy, have I neglected Deathloop. Um... <laughs> That game is really good, and I know we kind of talked about it last week, and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's kind of amazing the more I play it, the more I feel the Dishonored DNA, like yeah. specifically the first Dishonored. And what they've done is the stuff that they've always done, but it's tuned in such a way where it's more the, the meta progression is more complex but the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is so much smoother and easier and, like, you know, less friction than what they've done before, right? Mm -hmm. um, I feel like Prey kind of does the opposite, where Prey really, really, really is a harsh teacher in the beginning about what the systems are, how you need to take advantage of them, how, like, Prey is... Awesome once you get to the end of it, but the beginning, those hurdles feel really high, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like whenever you, I can't remember the enemies' names, but when you run into the big ones and you're early in the game, you're like, this is a nightmare. I got to get <laughs> out of here, right? Whereas this, I, I mean, yes, there are difficulties or rooms that are too full of guys or whatever, but it's, it's much smoother in the, oh, hey, I want to check this place out. I understand that I got to be careful, but it's not the... You know, Bloodborne, I'm going to instantly die the moment I take a step into the wrong spot. Yeah. And the level design is just so clever in that way that I'm just really, really excited um, yeah. for it. 
Um, but that you, game specifically, further, right? yeah, that game, uh, the traversal is the thing that I love. That once you get a certain power, much like Dishonored, it allows you to kind of approach a level differently. And I mean, I, I failed this one mission, died, and then started to loop back over and then approached it differently. Same room, same di- day, but now I have a the specific power that I got from the morning mission. And it allowed me to like kind of navigate in a different way to get to the top level rather than the bottom level and completely changed my in my experience with that level. So I love that, yeah, you can go in guns a blazing, modern warfare, here we go. Or you can go super... St- I mean, like, it, I just love the options it gives you to how to play the game. And it's not wagging your finger saying, like, oh, you're being a bad person. You know, kind of like Dishonored, which I, I get in this context of the game. But I just love that it's like, hey, kill as many people as you like. You know, and yeah. that's what... It just makes it so fun. <laughs> I love it. Well, I love it. Yeah, and with Dishonored, you had that heart to hear people's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, it kind of gave all the guards personality, which was this cool layer, but it was also like, oh, man, this guy, you know, he's got a family. <laughs> I, so Dishonored, I did a no, like, low chaos, but I ended up killing yeah. two people for very specific reasons because things happened in that story that I was like, I mean, this guy's getting ready to go do something terrible, like, right now. Yeah. I have to stop him, you know? Um, and so I think Dishonored's great on that in that way. But again, to get that balance just right is really tough, and I feel like I mean, I've said this before. Dishonored Two was a huge mis- like misstep for me because they did not get the balance right. Mm-hmm. Like if you wanted to play low chaos, it was incredibly challenging to the point of like you know save spamming, reloading, where this just doesn't have that, right? And again, we mentioned this last week. Boy, do they make it to where these are some really unsavory people. Mm-hmm. And hey, you know, man, go for it. Feel feel good about yourself, you know. And so, at least that's where I'm at on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, it's just, I don't know, man. It's just a really good execution on so many of those ideas. And I feel none of the frustration that I would in a roguelike because it's. I mean, it's really not that. Yeah. It's much more traditional yeah. than that. Um, but yeah, super fun. Last thing I want to ask you. I don't know if you saw, but on the new Nintendo Direct, Nintendo's mastered the art of taking things that were once upon a time poo-pooed and thought horribly of and making them... It wasn't that great. Uh, you know, primary customer, of course, being the GameCube controller. But they are... So, so first of all, they're going to add Nintendo 64 and Sega Genesis stuff to their online catalog. About time. And you can, and you can buy a Bluetooth Nintendo 64 controller to play these games. So I got to know, Cameron, are you doing it? Are you are you going to get out the old Bluetooth for some GoldenEye? Because I know you want to. Uh, yeah. Somehow I, yes, yes. I think uh, I think that's appropriate. Somehow I need to do that. <laughs> I mean, here's the problem, though. And I, I've always maintained this. Like, there's like five really important Nintendo 64 titles or something like that. Like, there's just, if you look at the actual breadth of the library of the super nintendo then the nes and then look at the nintendo 64 next to it like there is not a lot there and some of them i think are not good games but people were just kind of like trapped into playing that like yeah doom 64 like is yeah. not really nearly as good as doom but because it kind of became this cult classic because yeah. it was different and available on the system you know i mean what um, do you get but- like mario 64 
right. Mario Kart and like two Zeldas, <laughs> like and a Star Fox, right? Was there a Star there Fox? Was, I mean, there was a Star Fox on Nintendo yeah. 64. I would say. But yeah, I felt like it was really lacking in a lot of, I mean, there's obviously like Smash Brothers came from that generation. That was important. But yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. There's just not a lot. Yeah. And like for some of these things, like Smash Brothers, no one thinks of that as the Smash Brothers now, right? Like, mm, sure. I mean, I'm sure people like enjoyed it and it was revolutionary at the time, but the Wii U one or the GameCube one are kind of the ones that are what people think of, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I specifically the GameCube one, because people want to play that with the GameCube controller, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's GoldenEye, uh, but some things like Perfect Dark, I think, don't really hold up. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's a rough, you know. It's a rough like, patch, but it's important. It, it I mean, just like that Metal Gear game. Like, I mean, it's rough going back to replay that now. But just appreciate it for what it is. It's you know it belongs in a museum. Dang it! I mean, like, yeah. I, <laughs> I really do believe that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I just, you know, I I'll be interested to hear what people s- say when they go back to it because many of those games, if they stay unoptimized, like run at like twenty frames a second. Mm, like yeah. they they on, on intentionally like they're capped at that rate. Like the old Zelda and stuff, they don't run at an actual 30, so it's really jarring when you look at it now. If you're a retro gamer, you know what I'm talking about. But mm-hmm. like, there, there's just that element to it as well, whereas like the old Super Nintendo stuff, like whenever it's pixel perfect and it's meant to run at 60 frames, like it just looks so good still, you mm-hmm. know? Um, ah, anyway, I look forward to seeing your setup with that, Cameron. So if someone would like to get a hold of you and tell you about how... Uh, you know, Turok on Nintendo 64 was actually good. <laughs> Where could they find you? Let's have that debate, man. At Cameron underscore McCoy. And I am at Curtis now. Our official show feed is at Spike Feed MTG. We'll check you guys next week. <laughs>